just got the latest count from Ali and John Delaney on the number of microwaves, toasters, towels, cutlery sets, and kettles which have come in in the last week, culminating today. 83 microwaves. These are all brand new. All brand new. 83 microwaves over about 100 kettles, about 100 toasters, somewhere in the same region, number of towels. That's absolutely amazing. Imagine the number of people are going to be blessed. These are for people who um, are friends who come to the arches next door and would not have things like this at Christmas. They'll be able to, you know, make a cup of tea. They'll be able to serve hot food. They'll be able to wrap themselves in a warm towel and uh, make toast, etc. So very, very exciting. Thank you all for being so generous. And if you haven't yet, as was mentioned, you still can. Just bring them into the office or to the arches in the next week. There are just 23 sleeps left to go until Christmas. How are you feeling about that, that prospect? Oh, some excitement in the room. Uh, some of you have been excited since September the 1st when you were allowed to start your preparations for this, um, this wonderful day that's coming up. Others of you, maybe Christmas is like a never-ending to-do list. There's so much to do. There's so much to get together. There are the gifts to buy and uh, finding exactly the perfect present to express the right amount of love and affection. Something that you know the person's going to love that is generous but is not too over the top. It's quite an art. For some of us, buying gifts is a joy. Last night I went online, I bought Debbie something I believe she'll love. But there are many situations where, um, maybe some situations where you can relate to the sometimes complex dilemma of exchanging gifts, amusingly captured in this little piece. I like it. Some of you love researching and planning and looking at different gift options for your friends and your family, looking online in the weeks up to Christmas, and uh, comparing all the options, making sure you get the, exactly the right thing. Others take the Christmas Eve approach, madly trying to find something, anything, uh, with which to turn up on Christmas Day. About 33 years ago, Debbie and I had a jewellery shop. It was on Bridlesmith Walk, just off Bridlesmith um, Gate. Gate in town. And um, we, we had somewhere between a third and half of our annual sales 
in that three weeks leading up to Christmas. So it's very important. We were every stock taking and counting money and doing everything, often late into the evening. And on one occasion, we were there until after midnight. And we were talking about it this morning. What was it? Christmas Eve? It probably couldn't have been. These are in the days when there's no internet and no Sunday trading. And from, we recall it being probably Saturday night and the next day, Sunday was Christmas Eve, Monday being Christmas. And we were still going after midnight and then this couple came along and they were looking in the window and we spotted them and we said, would you like to come in? You know, just another sale and we opened the door and they couldn't believe it. like half 12 at night, they, he got to buy her something that he probably had meant to get around to doing. Then there's the food, there's menus to plan and dietary requirements and individual preferences to cater for, food to buy, and so much of it. Debbie was described by her sons in a birthday speech as the hostess with the mostess, and she pours hours and hours into carefully planning and executing the very best on Christmas Day. There'll be nine of us around the table this year. And she ensures that we have more types of meat and vegetables than can realistically be fitted on one plate. Not least her own chestnut stuffing that she spends incalculable hours making. Absolutely marvelous. Then there's the desserts and then, of course, her legendary cake. And then there are decorations. I brought the... Um, big heavy pot over and the we've had a artificial tree for 22 years we used to put it up for the carol service and the christmas party every year in the early days of the life of the church it's still going and it still looks fantastic um anyway i brought that over this afternoon so that'll be decorated tomorrow um you may see if not your own yet then neighbors little fairy lights appearing in windows and wreaths on doors maybe something appearing in the garden like the swift family who are only six miles from here in Nuttall, who begin decorating their home in September to look like this. So, six miles away, you might like to visit. That's the Swift family, Nuttall. Presents, food, decorations, that's just scratching the surface of all that comes with this time of year. And maybe you're one of those people who just loves Christmas. Perhaps time with your family and presents and decorating and making treasured memories and the preparations are all part of that. But for others of us, Christmas may be quite stressful. Some of you already may be quite worried about how you're going to afford everything. Or maybe there are relationships that are already a little strained and they feel a bit harder at this time of year. Or perhaps all the talk of family and fun serves to remind you of loved ones who you'll be going to miss, either because they've died or because relationships are difficult. And you're not, not alone. You know, Christmas can be a very challenging time for a lot of people. Um, it really can be an isolating and difficult time. According to research carried out by the mental health charity Mind, three quarters of us have had problems sleeping at Christmas because of additional stress. The Samaritans report that Christmas Eve and Christmas Day are two of the busiest days of the year for them, with people in distress needing someone to talk to. And National Health 
service statistics show that January, following the festive season, is the busiest month for divorce lawyers. So sad that at what is meant to be a wonderful time, so many suffer and worry. Over the course of this month, we are going to look at the idea of treasure. And this evening, I want to ask you the question, what do you really treasure? Whatever Christmas means to you, whether it's a time of excitement or a time of anxiety, whether it's a treasured time or not, we can all agree that this time of year comes with just a lot of stuff. And we can be distracted in all that from what Christmas is actually all about. The one thing it's really all about, or more accurately, the person that at Christmas we treasure and celebrate the most, and that is Jesus. Today, I just want to look at a passage about just that, about becoming so distracted by the busyness of the moment that the most important thing falls to the sidelines. So you can turn, if you have a Bible, to Luke chapter 10, or the screens will show the text as we read it. Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Along with their brother, his name was Lazarus, these sisters, Mary and Martha, were Jesus' Jesus's close friends. And we see Jesus and these siblings spending time together on a number of occasions in the Gospels. And this time Jesus is traveling with his disciples and decides to pop in on his friends en route. And in this little scene, we can see how the two sisters reacted very differently to his visit. First of all, we have Mary, who stays in the room and sits at the feet of Jesus. She spends time with him. Now, you've got to think about this, the original cultural context here, ancient Israel, Palestine, first century. And culturally, what she was doing was really very unusual. I've been to the Middle East uh, more than once and eaten in family homes and, and a number of places. And it really is quite diff different to what we're used to here. Basically, when I've walked into a place, a Western guy turns up, I sit around with the men and the women bring some tea and then bring some canapes and then if there's a meal involved they'll eventually you know bring food and serve and I've been in a number of places where actually the women have not even sat and joined the meal they've actually stood at the side waiting on on every need and um, you know we respect the culture and so it's okay we'll just receive that but it's different isn't it to the way we would do things here now if you go back about 80 years there were some similarities. The men would retire at the end of a meal with brandy or port and cigars, while the women cleared it up, did the washing up and, and tidying up at the end. So Mary is distracted from the norm of what would be expected because Jesus is there. 
She may have wanted to catch up with her friend, hear about the latest miracle. Maybe she was eager to hear of some of his teaching, his wisdom, his understanding of the scriptures. Whatever it was, we know that she sat at his feet and listened. Now, it wasn't just that she wasn't in the kitchen doing the preparations. It was actually she was in the room. She wasn't just in the room, like, by the kitchen door, you know, attending and then listening. She actually went right down and sat at Jesus' feet. By sitting at his feet, not only was she not doing what was expected of her, she was actually doing something else. She was positioning herself as a disciple, as a pupil to this rabbi. She was assuming a role that was normally reserved only for men. And this would really have been quite controversial for her to have done that. At that time, uh, women would have been expected to prepare the food much like Martha did, not stay in with the guests, and certainly not position themselves as a disciple. But Mary treasured time with Jesus so much that she didn't seem to be put off by social conventions, what other people thought of her, or how upset her sister got about this. She was clearly really eager to be with Jesus. And we see her taking the opportunity of his visit to do just that. Now in contrast, Martha busies herself hosting her guests. She's preparing food and uh, making sure that everyone has something to drink. And we read that Martha gets frustrated that her sister isn't helping. To give a modern day sense of this, you might have experienced hosting guests who arrive maybe with your housemate or housemates or with your spouse if you have one. And uh, maybe you can relate to this scene. One of you is like really responsible um, by nature and between you yeah but you're trying to create the perfect evening so you've chosen exactly the right music and getting the lighting just right the temperature turn the central heating just another degree to get it just right taking time to cook beautiful food which needs care and attention and coordinating the timing of course so that every part of the meal finishes cooking at exactly the same time which means you're in the kitchen putting the finishing touches to everything when your guests arrive. Now, you find yourself missing out on all the fun. Seems very unfair. And uh, maybe this frustration builds as you hear laughter coming from the other room, a joke or a story that you've missed because you're stuck in the kitchen. You even try to drop maybe a few subtle hints as you pop out of the kitchen to pass the canapes around. You give this other person you're supposed to be hosting with that that look, which they don't seem to be picking up on. Or maybe that leads to dropping a few pan lids while you're in the kitchen, hoping to uh, solicit an offer of help. Finally, as your frustration grows, you finally lose your temper, ruining the perfect atmosphere you've spent so much, so much time and effort in building. Now, I don't suppose that relates to anybody present here, but apparently there are some people for which this might actually be relevant. Now, we don't know whether this is quite how it happened for Martha, but we do know that she does become so cross with her sister, apparently not helping, that she appeals to Jesus. And it's interesting the way she does it and the way she's recorded, uh, uh, you know, it's recorded what she said. Verse 40 here. Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Can you imagine? She, she's obviously pretty wound up. Can you imagine speaking to Jesus this way? Don't you care? Tell her. 
Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, the sinless, perfect, all-wise, he could have been offended, couldn't he, really, by the tone of her question and her demand, not least because he did care. But Jesus responds with such gentleness. Martha is his friend, his friend, and he knows and cares for her, and he responds with a gentle rebuke. And we find that in verse 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. He reminds Martha and us that amidst all the busyness, all the preparations, all the things that can distract us, being with him, that really is the real treasure. Few things are needed. Nothing is more important than being with and listening to and learning from Jesus. And so Jesus is effectively saying to Martha, you know, Martha, when I visit you guys, it's not actually for the food. I appreciate that, but it's not actually for that. If I wanted a great meal, I could arrange one. You know, I recently laid on lunch for over 5,000 people, turned water into wine a, a while ago. Food and drink is not what is important to me. When I stop by to visit... It's for friendship, to be with you. We read in this story here that Jesus didn't go there to be fed. He wanted relationship with his friends. And we see Jesus encouraging Martha that Mary's chosen what is better to actually be present and sit with him. At Christmas, we celebrate this incredible but true story of God becoming man in the person of Jesus Christ, being born and as one of us to live among us. I love the message translation of John 1.14. It says this, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. God became carne, incarnate. Carne means meat, carnivore. Flesh and blood moved into our neighborhood. Why did he come? So that he could live a life which revealed what God is like in a way that we could grasp and see, a way that we could relate to him most easily. He came to bring a message, the message of the kingdom of God, the good news that God's will being done was breaking into this messed up world. And then to die on a cross so that our broken relationship with God could be restored and then to be raised from the dead, defeating death, and empowering us to live a transformed life through his spirit. That is the treasure that is at the heart of Christmas. Amidst all the light and the food and the gifts and the carols, the one thing that can get missed is the, the fact that God came to be in relationship with us. And it can be easy to miss. After all, Jesus was in her house and Martha missed it. She lost sight of the treasure. And how much more can we be distracted, especially at a time like Christmas? I heard recently of uh, someone who lost some vouchers on Christmas Day, 200 pounds worth of vouchers, and they'd been gathered up and thrown away with all the discarded wrapping paper. How frustrating. In fact, this person was so frustrated that a couple of years after it happened, they took to Twitter for solace. But you can understand how that might happen. You know, I don't know what your house looks like after everyone has opened their presents, but ours can be chaos. This picture isn't actually of our house, but you know the scene. Wrapping paper all over the place, boxes and bubble wrap and cards. And you can see how this important little voucher 
might get lost, lost among all that mess. In the same way, as we find ourselves in the midst of all the stuff that comes with Christmas, we can easily lose sight of the most precious thing, the one thing, Jesus. And I believe tonight there's an encouragement for us not to do that in this season. So let's just pause for a moment and consider which one of the two sisters are you most like or which might you relate to best. Is Christmas a time for you to slow down, spend some more time with Jesus if you're a follower of Jesus, as most of us are, but perhaps you've not yet started a relationship with him. But if you have a relationship, is it a time when you get you know, some holiday, a bit of time off work, you've got actually more time to spend in his presence, talking to him, listening to him, reflecting on what he's done for us? Or is Christmas a time of business and stress? If you feel more like Martha than Mary, then remember how gentle Jesus was with her. He doesn't take issue with her question or her demand, but simply and tenderly encourages her to remember the one thing that matters, to treasure him in the way that her sister did. And Jesus very gently rebuked her, but I think it's worth looking at exactly what he rebukes her for. Put yourself in Martha's position. Jesus and his disciples turned up at your door, on their journey, what do you do? Well, you would at least um, think about picking up the empty coffee cups and tidying the cushions and putting the kettle on. I'm sure that many of us would want to do much more than that. Serve the best food, make the guys as comfortable as possible, Jesus and his disciples, host them as well as we can. Doing things well is one of the hallmarks of this church and the Lord deserves our absolute best. And that's what Martha was doing. She loved Jesus. He was her friend, and she just wanted to host him well. And Jesus doesn't rebuke her for that. Look at what he says in verse 41, and listen to the tone in the way I believe he said it. Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. He was challenging her on her attitude, not her activity. While Mary could set aside the things that needed to be done and conventionally uh, should have been done to be with Jesus, Martha became worried and upset and indeed then resentful of her sister. She was distracted in all this busyness. She had exchanged intimacy for activity. In her attempt to do the best she could for Jesus, Martha forgot about actually being with him. And Jesus invites Martha to exchange her striving for the one thing that really mattered. Apparently most New Testament scholars agree that chapter 10 in Luke, where this story is found, is not told in chronological order. The story of Mary and Martha seems to have been deliberately placed by Luke after the story of the Good Samaritan, where Jesus encourages us to be active, to help others, to get involved. Mary and Martha's story, placed where it is, reminds us that amidst all the activity, we shouldn't lose sight of who we're doing it all for. It's good to do things for Jesus. It's good to serve others or to bless our loved ones by creating a wonderful Christmas experience, to spend time buying them gifts, to express our love for them, to have the best Christmas you possibly can, to celebrate Jesus' birth 
and to celebrate all that he's done for us. But I believe that God's inviting us to reflect this evening on whether in all this activity, all the worry about the season, we might have become distracted from the real treasure. So we might ask ourselves, what do we really treasure? What are we putting our time, what are we putting our energy into? And um, just to read something that King David, a thousand years before Jesus wrote, he wrote a number of the Psalms. And in Psalm 27 verse four, he writes this. One thing, really echoing what Jesus said, the one thing, he says, one thing I've asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Now, although the psalm talks about being in the house of the Lord, dwelling in the house of the Lord or being in the temple, that's not about going to a physical place. At the time it was written, the temple represented the place where God's presence could be experienced. What David's talking about here is being in God's presence spending time with him, worshipping him. God's inviting us to make time to be in his presence. And we all do that differently. It may be that you connect with God when you're alone or in prayer or in, or in corporate worship or, you know, like with, with us here tonight or when you go out into nature, different ways that we would connect with God. and would encourage you just to take a look at your commitments over the next few weeks. Many of you will have some time off bit more freedom to plan that and make some time to be with Jesus to treasure your relationship and your time with him maybe that you can actually do that amidst the busyness maybe you can put some worship music on as you do your online shopping or maybe pray as you put up the decorations or prepare the food God, God can be in all of it even the mundane stuff it's a he, he's available to us if you find yourselves feeling particularly frazzled over the next few weeks, you might find it useful to stop and ask yourself, have I done the one thing that really matters today? Am I like Martha getting overwhelmed by all the preparations and things that need to be done? If so, I would do well to go and sit with Jesus. So maybe Christmas is a particularly stressful time for you. Perhaps you're far from excited about it. Maybe like Martha, you are actually worried or upset. One of the ways the Bible describes Jesus is as the Prince of Peace. And my prayer for you would be that you really would know his peace this Christmas, whatever is going on. And I'd encourage you especially to make time to be with him, to bring your worries to him. He does care. He cares very, very much about all the details of everything you might be going through. And there'll be time in a moment um, to come up here if you would like someone to pray for you in whatever's going on. We would love to do that. Or it may be that you don't know really what you think about Jesus yet. You haven't discovered for yourself the treasure which is at the heart of Christmas. And today is an opportunity. You happen, you're here. That's a great first step. Find out more. Pick up those booklets as you leave. That will tell you a lot about Jesus. But um, it may be that you would come even tonight, have someone pray for you. Come and, as it were, sit at Jesus' feet for the very first time. Whatever this season means to you, however you're feeling this evening, 
I pray that you would not be like the guy who lost that valuable voucher in all the Christmas wrapping. That as Christmas approaches, you would, we would all know the one thing that matters in all of the busyness, the tinsel, the mince pies, the presents, the parties, the most glorious and wonderful treasure that is Jesus.